Hey Mafia, on today's episode you get to meet Lauren, a chiropractic doctor, certified acupuncturist, and a conception consultant who provides fertility coaching to people all over the world. She graciously invited me to join her atop her beautiful high-rise here in Chicago. If you listen closely, you can hear our city train, the L, whoosh by as we casually discuss embryo transfers, CoQ10, MTHFR, all kinds of fun topics. She's got a lot of great wisdom to share, and I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from her. And hey, if you're in the U.S., happy Thanksgiving on Thursday. Here's hoping your Aunt Gloria doesn't keep asking you why you're not pregnant. And hey, if she does, you can always have wine for dinner. Okay, enjoy the show. Mafia. Today I have such a treat for you guys. Um, I just made a new friend. Yeah. Like just. Best friends. Best friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think Lauren and I could sit here and talk for the next week. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I have Dr. Lauren Schneider with me here today. She's a chiropractic physician and certified acupuncturist, right? Did I get that right? Crushed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she's actually a lot more than that, and I'm excited for her to tell you what she's about because she has devoted much of her career now to integrative medical care, specializing in women's health, infertility, management and treatment of pre- and postnatal health, and family wellness. So, Lauren, tell us about yourself. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) I graduated with a bachelor's degree in biology from Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. It's a great movie. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then I went on to complete grad school in 2013 where I got my doctorate in chiropractic and became a certified acupuncturist. And I went to private practice right away, but really found myself treating a lot of women and wanting to cater my specialty to women's health. So at that time, I decided to perfect my craft by marrying both worlds of fertility and wellness by going under the umbrella of Dr. Jan Freiberg. He's a reproductive endocrinologist in the North Shore, and he's been practicing for 25 years, and I felt that I could learn the intricacies of IVF and IUI while also giving patients a holistic and well-rounded approach. That's awesome. I love that because, and before we started recording, I was horrified to find out that Lauren has actually listened to our podcast on acupuncture. And um, very committed, yes. (laughs) In that episode, we talked about these clinics that are becoming more and more popular, Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, they are marrying Eastern and Western medicine and trying to be integrative with basically saying like Western medicine doesn't in fact, have all the answers, like we are mostly taught to believe. And uh, so I just think it's so great to hear from someone who knows both sides of that, because like we were saying just a minute ago, sometimes you, and especially going through infertility, you hear all these things from your doctor, and then you hear all these things from the outside world, like try acupuncture, and you don't know how to necessarily 
marry the two. Sure. So you would be like a really good friend to have. So what does that look like for you? Well, what I think is important is there is no one size fits all in infertility. And that matters from an Eastern and Western perspective. Everyone has a different diagnosis. Sometimes it's unexplained infertility. And what I want to do is address the patient, their individual needs, what they've gone through so far, how many rounds of time cycles, IUI, IVF, do they have a history of recurrent miscarriage? Are they an autoimmune patient? And wanted to be able to work with them on an individual basis so that we could have a better outcome. And what I was finding is, you know, whenever we decide for a patient, is this a good route for them? Is this a good protocol? Do we like these medications? Do we like this, you know, next step? We have to always weigh the risk to benefits. And what I was finding is a lot of patients have a lot of myths about acupuncture and wellness and what its efficacy is and how great it is. And to me, a lot of it is, what are you missing out on? Is there a reason to avoid it? Are you, you know, could it hurt you? Is, you know, usually when we decide if something's not great for a patient, it's because the side effects aren't wonderful or we don't have any proof showing it would be a good outcome for them. But when you're doing all these wellness modalities, you're able to say the worst thing that happens is you relaxed for a little while and you're, you know, you had to pay. And that's the worst part of it. And to me, that's not so bad that, you know, that's the downside. It's not coming with a, you know, a bag full of caution and potential side effects that are horrendous. It's just not being sure what to expect for an outcome. Right. And so I really like having a patient who's never had any exposure to it as you know, kind of an end to get them excited. It's something different, especially if you've been through five IVF cycles already. Right. And some patients get to this point where we're on the internet all night, we're on Instagram, we're checking out websites, we're looking for clinical pearls of wisdom. And, you know, there is a lot that's out there, but there's not one person who's saying, here's fact, here's not fact. This is what's safe. This is what we need to do next. And so I like to be able to be almost, you know, the intermediate between... Help you sort through. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is a complete mind... You know what? Right. <laughs> I mean, Google opens up... Doc, we all do Dr. Google, right? Oh, for and sure. it just opens up this huge Pandora's box. Yes. That is so stress-inducing. Correct. And I think it's a double-edged sword. I like patients right. who feel... that they have control and they can do something to better their situation. But having someone comb through what is and isn't helpful is where I'd like to come in. I like to specifically specialize in their preconception care and how we can pull together all the studies and information from the internet, but cater it to their specific needs. And so where I think we go wrong is especially in the Instagram community and the Facebook community, we ask each other as women who need help, and we're all in the same boat and we understand each other and there's a lot of empathy there, but there isn't someone who's being the liaison and saying this isn't necessarily safe for your situation, Jane. And for PCOS, I maybe wouldn't supplement with this medication, Kate, and you know what I mean? So I really like to be able to be the gatekeeper for that. Which is, I'm glad you brought that up because it's kind of a 
pet peeve of mine, if you will, um, because you know we're all when we're going through this. It's there's so much uncertainty, and you're right. constantly searching for certainty. Right. And where do we go for that? A lot of times we compare stories with other people. Sure. And just to your point, uh, if you're if you are not uber educated or have a voice of reason in your life, like someone like yourself or a really good doctor or a, or a nurse at your clinic or just somebody right. that also has that medical background, mm-hmm. then it can be, then you just compare to the girl next door and what happened right. when she stemmed, well, she got this many eggs, why didn't I? And then right. you start playing this, I mean, the comparison game is like endless. The great egg debate. <laughs> Quantity versus quality. I have one more patient come in and say, I only got eight eggs. But at 2 a.m., when you've already had your last failed transfer and you can't sleep and you're Googling and you're hoping to find something different than what you did the last time, I think the infertility community gets preyed on a lot by great marketing companies and, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who doesn't necessarily have all the facts. How do you feel about the Ava bracelet? No comment. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I do talk about a big part of my job is patient education. So in the cases that haven't already made their way through a reproductive endocrinologist, I see a fair amount of patients who need to be taught the basics of our cycle and what day one means and how to track their cycles. And apps are really difficult because they cater to a box. You have to fit in this box. And And usually a regular cycle. Exactly. If you're 28 to 30 days, you're golden. If you have polycystic ovaries, we're in trouble. And women are really misinformed. And the problem with, you know, being able to have everything at our fingertips Mm -hmm. is not necessarily a good thing. Okay, so I feel like then our takeaway from that acupuncture episode, you probably, even though we probably sounded like complete asses to you, I'm guessing, because the takeaway we said, I remember us saying, if acupuncture is helpful to you and it helps you relax and you find it to be beneficial to you, Mm -hmm. to your stress, do it. If it stresses you out more, first of all, let's figure out why. But second of all, if it stresses you out more, then don't do it. Right. That's actually a really common thing I get is patients will say, well, how does this really help me for fertility? And how am I really changing hormones? Will I really respond to my stim meds better? And, you know, anecdotally, I can just tell you what I've seen case to case and how typically having a better environment because of acupuncture, creates a better response to stim meds. But to me, the downside, there is none. You relaxed for an hour. You got time to yourself that wasn't getting poked and prodded in an ultrasound, and you're able to really just have that time. So if you get to relax for an hour, I count that still as a win in my book. We are going to talk about acupuncture in a minute, but before we get to acupuncture, I I have a confession to make. Uh Uh-oh. I'm ready. Seatbelt's on. I am terrified of chiropractors really that is interesting tell me why what happened Um, there's always a story no I just have like I'm one of those people that has a weird like it makes my skin crawl to hear bones cracking and moving and so I have like bad news for you (laughs) so typically when you hear that popping sound right I'm often asked, 
did my bones crack? Oh, I know. It's in there. I know it's just air. It's gas between your joints. Yeah. Sure. But it's, it can be scary. So. It's not a logical fear. But it's it is a logical. common fear. <laughs> okay. Well, I just wanted to get that out there. I feel better. We can. But because we're friends, I feel like I can have an open conversation with you sure. about it. And maybe you will help me get over my fear. I'm hoping to. I'm gentle. I'm a gentle giant. I'm not going to adjust you today. Only here to talk about wellness and babies and all that good stuff. We'll work up to it. <laughs> okay, so nutrition. Talk to us about some common myths about what foods to eat or maybe not to eat around embryo transfer time. And I'm curious Okay. if, you, if pineapple is on your list. Sure is. So here's the thing. Yeah. How many Instagram pages or stories are you seeing women? I got my pomegranate juice. My Brazil nuts and my pineapple, and I am ready for transfer. Mm -hmm. Those are the big three. That's what I see a lot. So I wanted to definitely touch on those because although we don't have studies proving why they're helpful or that they are helpful, we can touch on why we think they are helpful Mm -hmm. and what is an appropriate way to use them. So with pineapple, as we all know, it is our symbol for the fertility community, so I would never want to hate on pineapple. And it, it tastes good. Oh, it's like you're on vacation when it's yeah. winter. Right. So when we're eating the core specifically, we're chock full of enzymes that contain something called bromelain. You know. You don't even need me. <laughs> so bromelain's really important in the sense that there's an anti-inflammatory aspect to it. And one really interesting clinical thing I learned when I first set foot into a fertility office, I was really unsure of what my role was. And Dr. Freeberg so wisely said to me, if you're sitting in my chair and you're a patient, you have some aspect of autoimmunity, which means there's an underlying inflammation in some capacity. Mm-hmm. That's what you're here for. That's why you're important. And so... Interesting. Yes. You know that's not the norm for most REs, right? Sure. I mean, or they don't tell, they don't say that to a patient. That autoimmunity is the underlying. Well, you've got to consider that kind of fits across the board and somehow, but we don't have a ton of science that's, you know, supporting a lot of things. Research is really slow, and so we know eating anti-inflammatory is good. It runs, you know, really great changes for heart disease and obesity and depression and we know this but like how does it fit into fertility and so I really wanted to address inflammation and so pineapple and I will definitely go down a rabbit hole about inflammation don't oh, you worry. you're speaking to someone who so saw a reproductive immunologist get after it you are speaking my language yes. and I just feel very I get fired up talking about that this topic because I we hear from women all the time who have heard from their doctor that's like that snake snake oil or sure. you know doing intralipid infusions or yeah. any other kind of anti-inflammatory. There's like there's no research for that, so sure. I'm not even going to bother. And it makes my blood boil. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate that reproductive immunologists get a bad rap. I really do from reproductive endocrinologists. I mean. Everyone needs to play in the sandbox together. And so... We're all working toward the same goal. Definitely. And I don't care how it happens. Let's just get someone 
what they what they want and what their end game is. And specifically, you know, interlipids is a great example of we don't have a lot of research that says it's great, but yet what is the risk to benefit ratio? You're not going to hurt a patient by doing it. Mm-hmm. It's time, you know, that is spent and it's money that's spent, but there aren't side effects. There's not a lot of downside to it. So why not try it if we're kind of hitting a wall with a patient who's three IVF rounds in or whatnot. Well, that would be a little too much work for some doctors to have to coordinate with another doctor. I mean, let's be real. We have to get onto the yacht this weekend and I can't, (laughs) I mean, I don't have time. I don't have time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying like, you feel like sometimes that probably is there or like I've said this before, that they don't want to endorse anything that they're just not sure about. So they don't really want to like put their stamp of approval on something. That is true. That everything is science-based, right? We have evidence-based medicine and nowadays there's such a liability for physicians that they can't practice as freely as they used to be able to. And that's really unfortunate because I feel like you're missing such a big part of medicine and always having to have your guard up is, is sad, you know, like we do live in a Sue happy world. And so, Physicians can't say things with certainty because there's a fear of if the one patient, you know, has a side effect or whatnot. Specifically, though, like, I think we can all get on the same page that diet is something that isn't just relevant to fertility. It's relevant to healthcare in general and being able to manage diseases. But there's no money in preventative care. So patients don't really know who to go to and... You know, there's a lot of trouble being able to get coverage with insurance, and so patients are paying out of pocket for these things, and that's unfortunate too. So being able to find, you know, a fertility specialist who says, hey, you can try these things. You can try, here's Dr. Lauren. She can help you with some of these nutritional mm-hmm. changes, but you're not strong-armed into doing anything. Yeah. Like, that's not our style. Um, but I think is all things within fertility, if it's we don't want to stress you out more. It's emotionally, financially, physically draining. You're tired. If meal prepping and cutting out dairy is going to be the end all be all for you. I am not here to make your life worse. <laughs> I can't not eat cheese. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you. Sorry, Lauren. Part two, we'll be discussing. I get it, but I'm just being honest. I can't not eat cheese. Well, there's like very commonly we hear about the keto diet now and I will definitely get into this a little bit but what I liked about the keto diet and this is about all is it really got people talking about I'm doing the keto diet oh what is that it created this huge marketing campaign where people almost felt like getting fit and losing weight was trendy again versus you know like patients who were trying to say oh you need to they were told you need to lose 20 pounds and we had to just figure it out Mm -hmm. so I really really liked that that's the one thing that kind of became a conversation piece, if you will. But because of it, again, look on the internet, look at Instagram. We have all of these crazy versions of what should I eat for embryo transfer? Where are the studies that are backing this? And so with pineapple specifically, we assume having the anti-inflammatory component is beneficial for implantation, but we still don't have a study that says 100%. So with that said, eat it. Sure. It tastes great. There's not a lot of downside to that, but don't expect that to be the reason we have implantation. Or if you didn't eat it, that's why we have implantation failure. That is not the case. Um, and the same thing with the pomegranate juice, (laughs) you know, 
If you enjoy a glass of pomegranate juice, have at it. Why it has a reputation in the fertility community is it's full of antioxidants and vitamin C and vitamin E. And again, these are all things that boost our immune system naturally. But drinking, you know, seven glasses a day in hopes that that will change implantation. On the day of an embryo transfer. Correct. There's no, there's nothing about that that's relevant. But what is relevant is if you are someone who's having issues with regulating your immune system, having a glass of pomegranate juice and adding in some cinnamon and honey, these are things that are really good for immunity. So do that. But don't drink eight of them. And again, expect a different outcome. And Brazil nuts is another big one I get a lot of questions about. And so not the best nut in regards to omega-3s. So we have almonds and we have macadamia, and those are really good healthy fats. They're really good at preventing insulin from spiking. They keep us nice and full. Um, But Brazil nuts are known in the fertility community because of selenium. So we have a really good selenium content in those. And that's really important for male and female health. So is in regards to embryo transfer, do we want to have an increase in selenium for, you know, an antioxidant reason? Sure. Yeah. Great. But even better yet for men, if we're using selenium and zinc, whether through a supplement or through foods, we have more studies about how that helps with sperm health. And so for that, I can definitely get on board. Right. Yeah. And so I'm glad you brought up the keto diet because that was going to be my my next question to you about your thoughts on a low or no carb diet, which it sounds like you agree with our the guest we had, Melissa, the nutritionist. I do. I yeah. do agree with her. Sure. You know, the big takeaway with this is a keto diet is putting your body into a starvation state. Right. And don't get me wrong. If your goal is to be the Instagram model with a really good selfie because she lost 20 pounds, have at it. But our goal with fertility is creating an optimal environment. So if we're counting these macros, meaning proteins and fats, and we're missing out in carbs, we're missing out on the importance of micronutrients, and micronutrients are what we need to sustain a pregnancy. So if we're really caught up in making sure we're you know, basing our diet, like in keto's case, we're basing around fat so we can get us into starvation mode, I don't love that. You know, I think we need to have a healthy amount of fat in our diet, but, you know, keto specifically does allow for a lot of dairy, and that is something I'm so sorry (laughs) if you were my patient. (laughs) Uh, But I don't love that. It is incredibly inflammatory. It really messes with our gut biome. It is mucus-producing. It is not an ideal food to be getting into. I know. Believe me, I know. I know it's not good for me. I still eat it. (laughs) I'll take my chances. I get it. I get it. Not at every meal and not to excess. I could limit it. I just would have a really hard time completely cutting it out. That would be super hard for me. I will take any changes. (laughs) Whether completely committed or only partially. I am a big... I'm a partial commit. (laughs) I'm a big believer in eating real and whole foods. So... I don't think counting calories is necessary. I don't think spending your day really stressing about hitting a number is great. If that's what motivates you, though, if you're a person who needs that, that's fine. I think when you're eating the appropriate amounts of lean animal proteins, veggies, fruits, and nuts, you don't really need to spend your time 
counting, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to be said about being mindful with snacking. And one really interesting thing, like Melissa had said, and that I think is really worth mentioning, is sometimes making very small changes in a patient or client's daily routine is just enough to kind of boost them. And what I like really think is interesting, a lot of patients will say to me, like, I love to grab a banana in the morning. I don't like breakfast. I like to go go to work and then like address this whole hunger thing at like 1 or 2 p.m. And then they have that 2 to 3 p.m. crash where they're so exhausted at their desk and they're like, why is this happening? And the reason is when you're just eating the banana and the sugar alone, we're having these rise in insulin. It spikes, but nothing is really managing and keeping it level, if you will. And so one thing about mindful snacking is that if you pair a fruit with a fat, like a handful of almonds, or a protein. For instance, like my husband really likes to just grab like lunch meat and eat it. Turkey. Yeah, just a couple bites. Just It really keeps our insulin level from spiking and it prevents that afternoon crash. And so I think if your goal is to make small changes because you're overwhelmed by the idea of going gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, which is ideal, P.S., it's not for some not sustainable or it's more stressful than the IVF cycle itself. Because then you're beating yourself up because you had a cheese stick. Right. In your case, you might have downed an entire pizza. Like, I don't know. I probably did. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I just don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, the other big thing I get questions on is gluten-free. So, this is kind of about how does marketing trick us a bit. Yeah. You see things labeled as paleo-friendly, gluten-free, whole 30. And so, when I tell patients, if they said, what is an ideal diet to you? as far as like getting our bodies ready for embryo transfer, you know, if we do have weight to lose. Instead of pigeonholing a PCOS patient versus a, you know, low egg reserve patient and, you know, a husband even who's got terrible sperm quality, they all should kind of follow in the same guidelines of anti-inflammatory. And the big things with that, it just means no dairy, no sugar, no grains. I'll, it sounds like I take away your fun. It right? sounds like no beer. It is. It is. I know. I can't give that up either. And nothing is a forever. <laughs> I feel like I'm ruining it. Everyone's fun today. Um, You're such a downer. I know. <laughs> but when you do that, you're eliminating things that are really, really inflammatory to the system. And so what happens is patients will say, oh my gosh, I'm being gluten-free though. I'm doing so great. Okay. But nowadays, what is gluten-free is just a substitute for another grain. So if it's not from wheat flour and that specific protein, gluten, that's really irritating to some, we're substituting with a rice flour, a potato flour, you know, a tapioca flour. And those are no better from an inflammation perspective. Gotcha. If I could say, you know, get rid of grains, not only do you feel better, I mean, the first couple of days is rough, but after that, you're healing, you know, from the inside out. Your digestive tract kind of follows suit. There's studies about the gut-brain connection, meaning if you can heal the gut lining, we have a lot of changes with depression and anxiety. So for that, I think it's worth trying. Yeah. And it also kind of creates a better environment, whether your goal is weight loss for prior to IVF or if it's to feel better and optimize a really great environment for an embryo transfer. There's really no downside to it other than it's really time-consuming uh, until you get into your groove. Like meal prepping, I know it's not awesome, but once you kind of hit your stride, it's almost like it outweighs the time you have to put in. Right. 
Well, and I remember Sarah saying one time, and I, I do believe that this is true, yeah. that there's so much you cannot control when you're going through infertility. Totally. What you put in your body is one thing you can. Sure. You absolutely can control. So even if it's, there is some like psychological advantage to having control over yeah. that piece of your, yes. I mean, that is, and that is your responsibility. Yep. No one else is going to do that for you. Right. And most doctors aren't going to prescribe mm-hmm. your diet. Well, that's what I find is so frustrating is, and you know, we're a little different in the States versus across the pond, if you will. But, you know, the guidelines to be able to start IVF are different in the sense that it is, it is a physician's call. They want your BMI within normal range because there's less risk involved, of course. But, you know, government funded programs require a certain BMI before they'll even put you on the list to be able to qualify. And so they say to a patient or a patient already knows like, Hey, I need to lose 20 pounds. I need to get myself in better shape, man. So, okay. So you talked about like marketing, how to avoid falling victim to that. What kind of buzzwords are we wanting to avoid on labels? Mostly If something says gluten-free or paleo-friendly or Whole30 approved... Doesn't mean it's all of a sudden healthy. Doesn't mean it's great for you. Exactly. Okay. And P.S. I don't want to be a fun runner because I am the hugest supporter of Simple Mills crackers. I think they're so great. But yeah, in moderation. Everything is great in moderation. But... You know, you have to be like, be a little careful with things that are labeled that way, especially if they're sauces. Like, there's a lot of Whole30 or paleo approved sauces for marinades or dressings. And sometimes they really are what they say they are, and they're not full of additives and they're not full of something. But, you know, who's regulating that? Number one, take that into account. They don't really have to answer to anyone. The only people who have to report and be able to have a title labeled or people who are trying to have organic foods be labeled as organic mm. but for everyone else who's who are they answering to so what i want to be able to just take with a grain of salt is if something looks too good to be true it might be and yeah. so take it a step further look at the back of it look what's in there and know that substituting one grain rice for another does not equal an anti-inflammatory state but again, everything is great in moderation. Okay, so speaking of moderation, Thanksgiving is Thursday. Everyone can have the day off. <laughs> okay, yeah. So on the topic of nutrition, yeah. What I mean, what Thanksgiving foods should we just totally avoid? And I mean this in a in a uh, like broader spectrum. When you think about the Thanksgiving menu, what? Can we just like gorge on? Like you can eat as many sweet potatoes as you want. You sure can, but I don't know a single person who's not going to chuck those full of marshmallows and brown sugar and good stuff. Yeah. All the Thanksgiving foods are good at their so at the at their purest form. Sure. And then we just go in and screw it all up. That's what us Americans like to do, you know. What I would recommend. The turkey's not bad, right? Well, how do you dress her? Do you deep fry her? Yeah. Because our family does. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Peanut oil. <laughs> Do you have the gravy too? Of course. I mean, <sighs> and the mashed potatoes. Yeah. So it, I think the moral to this story yeah. is that take the, off, like <laughs> take the day off and start fresh on Friday and don't eat leftovers, oh. which is so stinking hard. If you're anything like my family, my mom likes to make a ham in addition to a turkey. And so I will definitely munch on that. But yeah, like we have green bean casserole and sweet potatoes and all that is so great in its rare form or pure form, I mean, but yeah, yeah. 
yeah. horrendous for Thanksgiving. Yeah. But it's so good. So like you said, you gave us the day off. I'll give you the day off. So everybody just do what you do but you. On Friday. But on Friday, it truly is black. No cheese. Yes. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You heard it here first, guys. So you have no excuse on Friday. Got us no <laughs> leftovers. Right. So you just talked about selenium. And so I wanted to ask about um, you wanted to cover a little bit on prenatals and how they're not one size fits all, which I also love because, um, yeah, I feel like I did a lot of research with prenatals after I was diagnosed with MTHFR because I knew I needed bioactive forms of my vitamins. Yes. So talk to me about that. How are they not one size fits all? Like, why can't I do the Flintstone vitamin? Well, for starters, it's garbage. <laughs> you know, that in and of itself, we should probably stay away from. It's mostly sugar. Correct. Uh, prenatals are tough because we're trying to address everyone, and we want to make sure we're not falling short. And what I find interesting about prenatals is it's as though you have too much of one thing and not enough of another. And specifically, vitamin D is a big source of issue for me, and CoQ10. And so vitamin D, if we're looking at our prenatals, we're only getting about 400 IUs. On average, every brand is different, so I'm just mm-hmm. using umbrella conversation right now. But 400 IUs is fine, but we're in the Northern Hemisphere, and we have winter. And, and we're in Chicago. And we are in Chicago, and our vitamin D is totally depleted. And there's studies that show us that there's higher pregnancy rates with a higher level of vitamin D. And so at minimum, we would like our vitamin D levels to be at over 30. And so what's interesting is when you're putting someone on 400 IUs, it's great, but it's not enough. And so obviously what I think is hard when reading blogs is patients see, oh, vitamin D is great. I should go buy some. And that's why I really, really encourage patients to talk to their provider because Someone needs to cross-check what prenatal you're on, how much is in there, so we're not giving you too much and we're not making you toxic, but that wouldn't be awesome for you know, either. But we want to be careful with what we're doing, but we're lacking in that, and we're also really lacking in education about MTHFR. It's very relevant. It's not just a abbreviation for some swear words. Yeah. It's another hot-button topic for yeah. this this co-host over here. Well, tell me a little bit. Were you heterozygous? Were you? Compound heterozygous. Okay. So, you know, there's different forms of folic acid and now everyone has the ability to convert folic acid to folate and MTHFR isn't just relevant to fertility in this case of a prenatal, of course, but MTHFR and having that as, you know, being diagnosed is relevant to heart disease and all of our, you know, family members, it's hard to know any families anymore without that diagnosis. And so I really would encourage patients if they haven't had recurrent pregnancy loss and they didn't necessarily have a reason to test MTHFR to go to someone who really understands supplements to be able to go through what you're taking, what's in your prenatal, and then kind of catering what fits you. And so if you're taking folic acid, you don't have the ability to make that into folate and your body can't use it. And that's an issue. So how did you solve your problem? Well, okay. Yeah. Um, it makes me so crazy yeah. when I see people like, Oh, I was diagnosed with MTHFR. My doctor just told me to take more folic acid and I want to pull my hair out. Yeah. 
And then it builds up. And then it builds up in your, and some people actually, it gets toxic to your system to have all this folic acid that your body can't use just floating around. I feel like I was extremely just fortunate in that I had an RE who knew her shit right. on the topic. And she's the one who prescribed a the L-methylfolate, yeah. bioactive B6, 9, and 12. Sure. And said, you need more of this. And then I also had my reproductive immunologist that came right alongside her in that and echoed that. And yeah, because I just think that one just flies under the radar with people. And I think it's more relevant than we know, even like through actual data. Because that's another one you hear like, oh, there's not that much data on it. Well, that's changing actually. And again, it's one of those like, just do the thing. Like, it's no skin off your back to take bioactive folate. Exactly. Like, there's no risk aversion here. Exactly. It's just, why not do the thing that you know your body can use as opposed to the thing we're pretty sure can't? Where I get a little concerned is the FDA does not have to regulate supplements. And so when we're reading and we really want to solve these problems ourselves, and we are like, we're going to go to the store and we're going to buy vitamin D. Well, no one is regulating that. So when you're purchasing it, you may have something that's a huge percentage filler and it's not what it says it is. And so my encouragement is really about empowering my patients to say, hey, you know, although I like your prenatal for you, why don't we add this additionally? And let's also order it from a physician grade Mm -hmm. nutraceutical company. You know, I have my favorites, but where we go wrong is when you take it upon yourself and then you go to Whole Foods and you go to Trader Joe's and you're like, oh, look, vitamin D, like this is so great. You know, my hope is that you're getting what it says you're getting, but that's not necessarily how things go. Right. Well, I think it's a misconception. People just think, oh, if I just go into Walgreens and buy vitamin D, it's going to be the same here as it is every other place that I can get it, and it's just not true. You know, the solution to the vitamin D is just if we all fly to, yeah, Cancun every weekend. Doctor's orders. I think we should. I said so. You have to go to the beach. It's the only way we can absorb it the best. (laughs) So then how do we, what, can you give us some practical tools about how to navigate that when you say to get Like, where should people go to shop? So a really good example of this, actually. Like, CoQ10 is such a talked-about thing. Yes. And studies have been pretty recently published about its use for women with low egg reserve, also for sperm health, and also for PCOS. Even recently, they published something about PCOS. Mm -hmm. What I get fearful of is when my friend Sally tells me, hey, I'm taking 300 milligrams of it, I'm like, okay, but who said okay, right? And I think it's really important that for PCOS, there is actually a lower indication for it. We want a lower dosage. It's just like finding that perfect cocktail of fertility medications, of folistim. You wouldn't go into 25 units for one patient versus 600 for the next. You know, we have such a variety. And so I think it's really important to prioritize investing in at least getting a game plan i we get that question even if in the short amount of time that we've had the facebook group Mm -hmm. through the podcast multiple times that people have said okay the doctor told me to take coq10 how much should i take sure and they just 
And then again, like what we were talking about earlier, people are like, well, I take this much and I take that much. And you just do a Google search and, yeah. you know, I think everyone, you're, it's great to get information from your friends, sure. but they, um, how do I put this tactfully? <laughs> it's the same thing that we tell you about listening to this podcast, that we're just two people that don't really know what we're talking about. I mean, we, we're, we know enough to be dangerous pretty much, Yeah. you know, and you really should seek the help of a professional when you're talking about these drugs and supplements and that can really have vast implications on your health and certainly your ability to conceive and go on to be pregnant. Let's talk about acupuncture. Sure. Talk to me about myths about acupuncture and trying to conceive. A common question I get is number one, is it going to hurt? Or is there something at the end of the needle that's making all these things happen? The answer is no. There is nothing medicated at the end. There's nothing going into your system that's like creating a change. What I think is great about acupuncture is, again, it's more of a customized approach to your healthcare. It's looking at you as a person, your diagnosis, what you have going on in your life, and creating a treatment plan based on that, like who you are. And it also can piggyback depending on what you're using it for. I personally like to use acupuncture for patients who aren't necessarily at the point of IVF, but there's a lot of myth around acupuncture is only useful for patients going through IVF, and that is not the case. It's really important at creating a good balance of hormones. So if you're just in the process or you and your husband just decide this is the time we want to have kids or we want to start moving forward... I think it's really great to have it as a tool in your toolbox to kind of see, one, where you're at with things already, mm -hmm. and then make some changes where we need to make changes and create a better environment to have hormones fluctuating the way we want them to. And so if you're a patient who's gone through IVF, the majority of acupuncture studies are based on acupuncture for IVF. And so I think that's why commonly we think it's only useful for that. Because all the studies are done with people going through it. Correct. Specifically, they take this snapshot in time. They usually have studies. And again, these aren't really that great yet. We're still really behind. But we're looking at only patients who've done acupuncture before and after embryo transfer. But what a small snapshot, right? Like when you're in IVF, you know you have your down regulation period. You have your stim medications. You have the retrieval you have the transfer and you have the two-week wait. I mean, that is a huge chunk of time. And so I really like to see patients prior to the start of their down regulation period to address what's going on, whether it's as complex as PCOS or it's unexplained infertility. I really like to be able to start early and then continue on through their stem medications. And while I'm doing that, I'm also touching base in this case with the physician I'm working with and saying, how are they responding to their folistim? What do I need to change based on what you're doing or what you're seeing? And that, I think, is what's so great when you can have the ability to customize treatment plans based on your protocol. I think one thing you'd probably agree a benefit of acupuncture that I would tack on is mm -hmm. um, in addition to helping regulate hormones would yeah. be also like I think um, people underestimate the effect of stress on their body. And I know that's another thing that acupuncture can be really good for reducing stress. This is a great, like, this is my fun conversation. <laughs> okay, so get comfortable. Okay. 
So why I love acupuncture, scientifically speaking, is when we're stressed out, because we're going through IVF, and this is our whenever round, and it's been really terrible, is our cortisol levels go up. That is our stress hormone. We're really having trouble getting through our circumstances. And so as cortisol levels start to go up, my job with acupuncture is to try to create a better homeostasis basically in your body and have your hormones regulated and not having these huge spikes and influxes. And when you're using acupuncture, you have the ability to get that cortisol level to lower. And I can't take the credit, right? A lot of times with cycles, you know, it could be pure dumb luck. It could be we changed their folistim dosage or their menopure and whatnot. And that's all true. But for patients who've maybe had a very similar protocol without acupuncture and then they add it on, we're seeing good response. We're seeing great estradiol levels. And I think that's really, you know, from my perspective, the benefit, but for the patient, it's the hour to themselves that they're with me a week that we're touching base on where they're at, you know, physically, emotionally, how they're handling their shots. Do they have questions, you know, how to get them to the end of that really tough cycle? Yeah, well, and and what I was just saying to you earlier about the benefit of having an acupuncturist that doubles as kind of like your fertility coach. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be an accurate description? Sure, I'll take it. You know, I, I because I get so close with my patients because just being, you know, with them so often, a lot of the questions are more about what to expect. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know... One thing that I think is so great, and personally, I I can totally empathize with these patients when not only professionally can I put a needle in them and say, I hope you feel better because this should help you, I have lived it myself. And so if, again, someone asks me a question and says, does Ganarellic sting? Yeah, it does. I can tell you it does. But that's kind of what's nice is I have this, you know, weekly check-in that is more than just getting them on acupuncture needles, letting them relax, leaving the room. It's really checking in on their life. Right. Um, little teaser there. Yes. You guys don't know Lauren's personal story, but we're going to get to that in a future episode. Yes, she's taken Ganarelix because, yes, she's done IVF how many times? Four. Four times. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited for you to share your story. Um, but I think that's great what you said about you're basic, and I think I mentioned this earlier, that you're a great go-between because, mm-hmm. at least in my experience, you get in there with the doctor, and half the time you feel like they're, you know, they're already behind, and they, you get the sense that they don't have time to sit there for half an hour and talk to you about your diet, yeah, and which vitamins you're taking, mm-hmm. and does Ganarellic sting? Like yeah. that's not really necessarily how you always. I mean, some doctors are great. to do that, but not all of them. And so it's great. Again, it's just like this perfect mediator of having a really knowledgeable friend that you, and you've dedicated the time to be there and talk to them. I think what sets a great provider apart, yes, there's the education aspect, no doubt, but is the empathy. And so I would really encourage someone to seek out when they're asking acupuncturists in their area what their experience is with fertility, how many cases they've done, are they familiar with IVF cycles because they're way more intricate than a natural cycle. Okay, so lifestyle um, modifications. Mm -hmm. We get this question all the time. Ooh, really? Then people say alcohol, 
when I'm going through a fertility treatment, do I have to cut out all out, or is one glass of wine going to affect my embryo transfer? And people want, they want a metric. They want to know how much is, quote, okay. I am afraid. Oh, no. Are you going to rain more on my parade? Yes. I'm going to tell you that the answer is it is not safe to consume. I'm going to leave it at that. A lot of people have the argument when you get pregnant, like patients who do not go through fertility treatments, they sometimes drink and they don't know. And their babies are fine. And their babies are fine. And that is totally a valid way to feel right of course I, I totally understand but I will n- I can't you can't professionally advocate no I cannot yeah. I cannot <laughs> does everyone hear what she's saying there yeah. I asked where these strict guidelines came from because we know the complications of drinking while pregnant obviously right. but I asked why some providers do feel like it's not that big of a deal and why some stress about it more. And what it really comes down to is liability. Again, nobody wants to be on the record exactly. saying that's okay. Well, my doctor said. Yeah, exactly. Because there's always the one person who does not take it in moderation and they ruin it for everyone. Right. Which is what I've said over and over again to you guys. Like, just, yeah, moderation is the key here. Yeah. It's so like I said, if you have... And this is me talking again, so I'm not speaking for Lauren. I'm only speaking for Kayla right now. If you have a glass or two of wine during an IVF cycle, is that going to move the needle in any direction as far as whether or not it's going to work? I'm going to say no. If you binge drink the whole time and you binge drank the months ahead of an IVF cycle, yeah, that could affect things. What about, so another question we get is about BMI, and you kind of touched on it a little earlier. I know it's like a touchy subject for some women. But I'm going to turn this on to the men for a second. Oh, okay. What is a normal BMI range? 18 to 24, I'm rounding. And there are studies published that men specifically who are obese have a lot of concerns with sperm health specifically the sperm head has really changed in shape which causes a lot of problems so instead of always being so hard on the women (laughs) we do need to address that it's not just important for women when every woman is going through fertility treatment and their husbands just sit and think everything is great and they have no role to play right other than to jack off in a cup once a month or whatever if even yeah right if even they really do have it easy as far as like the big picture of fertility so there are things that they need to do if they're smokers they do need to quit if they are overweight it would be great to lose weight if they're drinking we need to not do that either we all have a lot of concerns with sperm health and we also have concerns about our like our technology nowadays we put our laptops on our lap that's not great either, you know? Keep the balls cool, guys. Yeah, the bathtub situation. Yeah, so I, instead of bragging on, you know, women need to make changes, everyone needs to make changes. Well, especially considering a third or more of all fertility, infertility cases are male factor. So there's no way. Right. I mean, we've talked about that ad nauseum, just like... Yeah, because the general consensus still today is like, well, this is usually a women's issue, and I'm... Right. I mean, even men that are, you know, in the infertility community and know that that's not true, but the perception publicly is still that it's largely... It's a woman's issue. Sure. Yeah, so all of the data, everything is geared towards women and not men. Right. 
even the and and the like decline in fertility in men even since the 70s like we cited an article not long ago and we were talking about men's health fertility health it's staggering yeah and actually one of the things they cited was toxins yeah talk to me about toxins this male factor in fertility is so rampant and the question is why and a lot of it comes back to the synthetic hormones and so as far as toxins Listen, we're going to be exposed to them no matter what, because nobody can live in a world where you just stress out, making sure everything is toxin free. But there are little things we can do. Um, Specifically, I have a big gripe with water, especially like Michigan water. So if you live in Chicago, (laughs) drink filtered water. (laughs) So water, when, you know, especially if we're getting it from these natural sources, we have no ability to filter out hormones. And so the issue with that is women who are on birth control, they're on synthetic hormones, they go to the bathroom, it goes through, you know, plumbing systems into Lake Michigan. It all goes back, right? Then we're drinking Lake Michigan water. We cannot filter those out. So men are now being exposed to estrogens, which is why we're having higher rates in breast cancer in men because we have no ability to really change that. So drinking filtered water is important. And she says, well, she's drinking plastic, (laughs) but you know. But it's smart water. I know. So it must be okay, right? Smart's in the label. Completely. Going back to your marketing (laughs) buzzwords. Yes. What could be wrong with smart water? Absolutely nothing. It's made me the woman (laughs) I am today. But it is important to see where you can cut back on plastics. So BPA, as we all know, is a big concern in plastics, as well as phthalates. Say that word with me a couple times. It's concerning, and they're all really disruptive to our hormone system because we're getting these synthetic hormones. And you hear a lot about beauty products and parabens and trying to stay away from that. And ideally, I would like to be able to do that. But again, when you're going through infertility, if a manicure is what is going to make you feel better, I have a hard time saying avoid nail polish. Yes, there are ones that are non-toxic. I don't know them. It is my indulgence to get a manicure. It's all like, you know, that is my, that's my me time. Once a month. Right. It's not like you're sniffing nail polish everything 24 in hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> there are other things I think we should pick on first, like household cleaners. What is it I, about, what's it? I know you mentioned BPA and the phthalate. Yeah. What, like, and you're talking, so are those synthetic hormones? They disrupt your hormones because the plastic contains BPA and phthalates, which are not only disruptive to estrogen, but also testosterone. So if we're already given an infertility diagnosis and we're not creating an adequate amount of some or not enough of another, we basically have an imbalance. We would like to try to reduce anything that's going to make it worse. So let's totally switch gears. Let our hair down a little bit and get into out of the box. Get into out of the box. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> let's talk about Thanksgiving. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? My favorite is stuffing. And if you do not agree, you are a monster. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She's sure. like, it doesn't matter. All of these other controversial topics we've talked about, it doesn't matter. It all comes down to just stuffing. Right. Do you like bread stuffing or cornbread stuffing? Bread. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in our house, we make two different kinds. We have the sweet and we have the savory, if you must know. It's a sport. It's a sport in our home. So do you make the stuffing? No. No. You just want to eat it. (laughs) 
my mother has perfected it, and I will not ever amount to that. Oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd have to go. Oh, man, it's just so hard to decide. Stuffing's at the top I of my list. I am judging regardless, so go ahead, lay it on Except me. I call it dressing because I'm from the South. Oh, that's fancy. Yeah, and it's always cornbread. Really? Okay, that's very interesting. I have a lot to learn. Like, I didn't know, like, people didn't say stuffing until I moved up here to Chicago. It's dressing. Yeah, it's dressing. Wow. Yeah. Okay, will you be having some dressing on Thursday? <laughs> I will, and my mother will be making it, and I will be eating it. What is it about moms and dressing? Oh, <laughs> so no. But, yeah, I couldn't even, like, to me, that's the hardest one to make. Yeah. The hardest one to get right. And so... A lot of room for error. A lot of room for error. Yeah. So you got to know... What's, like, your dish? Like, what's your go-to? Will you be cooking? Yeah, I'll be in the kitchen. I don't know if cooking... I mean, that's a strong stretch. Okay. You'll be supporting. Peeling a few potatoes, maybe a carrot or two. I can chop. So you're the sous chef. I'm a sous chef. Okay. Yeah, but my mom is... She's the type that's like, I got this. Like, she... Yeah. She has to take it all. My mom has man Thanksgiving. I don't ever want to take it over. No. It's just... What's like her love language. Like, I think it would stress her out if we all ascended on her kitchen and, like, tried to, quote, help. Sure. I think she likes, you know, that's, like, her gift to the family as I'm... I love that. Yeah. Do you watch football on Thanksgiving? Are you a football girl or... But, I mean... My family is a sports family. My husband played football, and he will be so mortified. I'm about to tell you this, but he was in the NFL for like a minute. You met him. He's a tall drink of water. I know he is. He's a like super handsome man. I have to say, he's a good looking guy. So it is a religion in our house. He is from the great state of Nebraska, where it is a way of life. Go corn huskers. Yes, much. I say much like those Texas, those Dylan Panthers, if you will. Absolutely. So yes, there will never be a day I don't have football on Thanksgiving yeah. they just they're synonymous they go together we actually embarrassingly have a two TV lineup where there's one with one game and then we're always having something on the top as well oh wow yes now what I like to do is put football on the bottom TV and then put Bravo television very educational very wonderful on the top so we can see what the housewives are up to <laughs> as the Bears game is on <laughs> I see nothing wrong with this Okay, this is a good segue into our lightning round. I think I know the answer to this one, but are you a cat or a dog person? Oh, dog. Tell us about your cute little the puppy. The love of my life. <laughs> he's a three-year-old English bulldog, and he lives for a nap. He's my spirit animal. He's the most wonderful thing ever, and I want ten more. <laughs> and he's super, super cute. Okay, yes or no? Holiday decorations before Thanksgiving? Is this acceptable? Yes, 100%. God, I was afraid we were going to have to not be friends anymore. Do you have a favorite, like, 90s jam? Like a go-to? Oh. Okay, this is, like, embarrassing, but my go-to karaoke song, if you will, is Mr. Biggs, Just to Be With You. Okay. Like, one-hit wonder style. But, yeah, I don't know. I think that's about all I really like from the 90s. Not into the grunge, wasn't into... That wasn't into Nirvana, Pearl Jam, no. any of that? No. I feel like I respect and enjoy Pearl Jam as an adult, but never really did. I think that's kind of... I have a retro yeah. respect. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. What's the last thing you watched on TV? Don't lie. 
housewives always like this is a this is a nightly when our day is done we go to the couch and we turn on the housewives and we flip back and forth to whatever game is on or we have a dual situation happening i'm glad you have the dual situation my husband is just like because i would say the bachelor's my like tv uh, guilty pleasure but my husband's just like uh no and he just leaves and goes you know to the sports bar across the street love it to watch the highlights and i'm fine with that because then i don't have to switch back and forth it's your me time (laughs) um okay are you an early bird or a night owl i'm an early bird and you miss emailing at the hours i don't even know people who function at that time like 5.30 5.30 a.m. is my jam. <laughs> oh, God. I'm ready for parenthood. Let's do this. <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, man. Because no. No, I'm much better at midnight than I am at 5 a.m. So we, what we've learned just now is we have a very finite amount of time where to we can When you're going to bed and I'm waking up, yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Describe your perfect Saturday. Oh, wow. I feel like Miss Congeniality. It would be April 12th. <laughs> My perfect Saturday would honestly be getting to sleep in until like 7. <laughs> I work on Saturdays, and I always have, so it's really weird to like break that cycle. If I have a Saturday off, it just feels wrong. But this is going to be super lame. But no. I would love to just couch it with chubs and the better half That's and not lame. Netflix it and order in home slice. If you don't know what that is, we cannot continue this friendship, <laughs> but like a pizza and Netflix is really ideal. That's how you know you're a, an adult. Like, yeah, like you live for the moments on the couch. Absolutely. I think that's a great answer. I was going to judge you if you were like, I'm at the gym at 6am. No. Um, name something everyone else seems to like that you don't licorice oh licorice weird right like twizzler twizzlers I was gonna say no interest don't like them no that's sushi for me oh how could you I don't like it everyone loves it and I'm just like uh, I I don't like it I've tried so many times it to is love an acquired it. taste I totally understand that. yeah but I mean I've tried to acquire it it's not there. It's not going to be. No, it's not going to be. <laughs> um, would you rather be able to speak every language or be able to speak to animals? Ooh, speak to animals. Oh, yeah. Ugh, th- just imagine if Chubbs and I could have a full-blown conversation. Oh, Do you feel like he has been a good, like, support system uh, through your infertility? 100%. Yeah. He, I feel like when someone says, like, should I get a dog? It's like, yes, of course. Yeah. He's just the constant companion. Right. He's helped make the decisions for us. Just kidding. <laughs> okay, this is the last one. I mean, it's a little bit more serious, but what's, what do you consider is, like, the bravest thing you've ever done? Oh, choosing surrogacy, honestly. Did, did you totally serve that up in a silver platter for me or what? I didn't mean to, but I thought that might yeah some something close to your answer 100% that I think that was definitely the best and bravest thing because it's not ideal no one grows up dreaming to literally outsource what would be considered like your life's work to somebody else but I really think it was the best decision yeah wow what a great segue that was and you know that's a great teaser actually it is Mm -hmm. because 
as you guys have heard now, she's done four rounds of IVF, and now you've heard that she's using a surrogate. So I'm sure you're extremely intrigued about Lauren's personal situation, which we are going to talk about in a future episode. Yes. But for now, Lauren, can you please tell everyone like where they can find you, how they can get in touch with you? Sure. I have totally taken my own infertility experience and wanted to channel it in a good way for other people. And so I felt really limited, obviously being in Chicago and not being able to reach out to the community. So if you are looking for wellness advice or tips or what to do next or just a fresh set of eyes on your journey so far, you can check out my website, conceptionconsultant.com, or you can find me on Instagram at integrative underscore fertility. And you can go ahead and message me in one of those places. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. This was great. This was really fun and so educational. Round two is happening. I can't wait. And everybody else, like like Lauren said, you can find her in all those places. I'll certainly link them in our show notes. And you can also join our closed Facebook groups, the Infertile Mafia and the Infertile Mafia Bosses and Babies. You can follow us on Instagram, too, at Infertile Mafia Podcast. And, of course, you guys can always reach out to us via email, infertilemafia at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast to hear more talk about oocytes and testicles and other related things, right? Crushed it. Or, as I would say, eggs and balls and stuff. And stay tuned in the future to hear another episode with Lauren where she will talk to you about her experience with IVF and now surrogacy because it's it's a good story it's good (laughs) thanks again Lauren thank you for having me okay now you say the last line thanks for joining the infertile mafia bye bye